We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it is episode 64, and we are breaking down the NFL draft that happened right here in Cleveland last weekend. To do that, joining us another special guest, a returning special guest, Jay Crawford, jumps back in the garage with us. We're going to talk about the draft, and of course, we're going to give our impressions of what the Browns were able to do building their team up. We got all that, plus so much more. Come on up the driveway, pull out your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. All right, and welcome on in, everybody, to episode 64 of the Garage Beers podcast, brought to you here on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go find Belly Up Sports uh, and all the other shows that are on the network with us. Joining you, as always, I'm your host, Michael Keefe. Go find me online at Garage Beers. Mike, with me, as always, over on the east side of Cleveland, it's Chad Meyer at Garage Beers. Chad, what's up, Chad? What's up, guys? I am uh, sitting here watching the aftermath of the uh, Capitals-Rangers game. There was a line brawl at the beginning. Uh, so that's always a good start to a hockey game. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of glued to it right now, but you know, this will be fun. With your backlighting, you look like you're in the witness protection program. I need a light <laughs> on your face, bro. <laughs> well, listen, J- listen, Jay, if I told you where I was, I'd have to kill you. So, <laughs> you know, what we need in for your voice is one of those voice distorters. Oh, so yeah, you, yeah. So you'd really be in the witness protection program. Yeah. Like, I, I just, like, there you go. I'll just lean back and I'll go, like, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. I'm watching the. Exactly. That's exactly right. I'm watching this, I'm watching this Rangers game. And uh, there's a line brawl at the beginning. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll bring in our special guest here before we, because we should hit on that Rangers thing real quick. But we're bringing our special guest first from WKYC. You know him from ESPN. You know him from the Browns for a time. Right now, you know him as uh, uh, a bright and smiling face on WKYC right here in Cleveland every day. It's Jay Crawford. Jay, welcome back to the Garage Beers podcast. Guys, it's great to be with you again. Yeah. So, Chad, we haven't really talked about this, but the Tom Wilson thing. Yeah. A lot of back and forth. And Jay, are you a hockey fan, Jay? I used to be a huge hockey fan, but I'm following the Wilson thing. I don't... What in the world is going on with the NHL? (laughs) 
like is are you allowed to like bring uh chains and and knives to to games now and they're slapping guys on the wrist i don't i don't are they trying to get back to the old-fashioned hockey days where guys just blooded each other from start to finish and there's no punishment yeah yeah i think they're trying to get back to that uh, a little bit because there was a lot of back and forth about as to whether uh, what place fighting has in the game now. And, and a lot right. of the guys, a lot of the players says, it says, you know, it'll always be around and it's going to, I, I mean, it, 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 it will, never... you can't take it out. No, but, it's, but, it's the, but it seems like the, itself. now it seems like the league is, is a lot more tolerant than they were even just a few years ago. And, and I think that's probably a response to the hardcore hockey fan and many of them were attracted to the game because of the violence. And so when the league in the late 90s and into the 2000s tried to wash that out of the sport, I think they really, you know, they disenfranchised a lot of the true cemented fans of the game. And mm-hmm. now I, I think that what the league office is saying is we might be making a shift back to the, you know, the good old fashioned bloody knuckle hockey game. And that's fine. That's yeah. but embrace it. If that's what you're about, embrace it. Right. Right. And, and uh, going by Wilson Dax the other, uh, the other night, uh, you know, only getting, only, only getting a fine for those actions kind of tells you what direction what, like that's fi- going in. What was it? 5,000 bucks. <laughs> yeah, you used to get $5,000. If you, if you looked at someone cross in the, in the NHL, and now it's like, you know, we're going back to these old, who is the guy? What was his name? Tiger. Uh, he was, I think he played in the eighties. He used to lead the league in penalty minutes every year. His <laughs> name exactly was Tiger, but I can't think of his last name now. He was a boss. I mean, just yeah. a, oh, he couldn't yeah. skate. I'm not even sure if he could handle the puck or shoot. But <laughs> the dude could fight, and that was. And there were a lot of guys in the league that way. All their only yeah. role in the league was to be a fighter, and yeah. you know, th- then the sport washed those guys out. And maybe we're going back to that again. And I- I'd peek in a lot yeah. more often if that was if that was again part of the sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're looking at these guys who are more of like pests nowadays than like enforcers. But Tom yeah. Wilson is is kind of a. He's an old school enforcer stuck in a new school era right now. You bet. Yeah. But he's, 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 <laughs> but you know, like you said, they're going back to that era of the, of the, of the bloody, basically the bloody middle hockey is, uh, yeah. it's, it's definitely something that would uh, it, it bring in a lot more casual fans as well. So, uh, well, they may be looking uh, at the popularity of MMA and UFC and, you know, I mean, for better or worse, we seem to have embraced uh, as a society more of this kind of sporting activity. I mean, there for a while, UFC and MMA was teetering on the verge of extinction. There were yeah. states that were writing right. pieces of legislation that would make bouts in their states illegal. But, I, you know, I think it was like a boulder coming down a mountain. You can try to hold it back for a little while, but you're not going to keep it up there. And now I think it's, you know, in full fledged rolling down the mountain, picking up steam. And maybe the NHL is like, hey, maybe we can, you know, maybe we can partner with that crowd. Maybe we can yeah. embrace that more violent side of the of right. the sport again and may perhaps bring some old fans back and maybe even gain some new ones in the process. Yeah. Just like sex, violence. So, Jeff, 
<laughs> yeah. Chad, should there be, a, should there have been a suspension? There's a lot of people talking about whether or not they think there should have been a suspension. Should there have been a suspension for Tom Wilson? Cause Panarin gets injured in that fight and is lost for the year. Like yeah. there's heavy damage that happened because of that fight. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to suspend him until I saw him slam Panarin to the ground. Like, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, an unwritten rule in hockey is, is you don't mess with the goaltender after the, after the puck is covered. You just don't do it. And that's exactly what the Rangers player did. I don't know how to say his last name, but that's exactly what he did after, <laughs> after the puck was covered. He just kept poking at him, and Wilson pulled him off. Was, was the little jab to his, to, his, to his head a little unnecessary? Yeah, but it wasn't excessive. But after the pile-on and then everything was kind of over, Wilson just kind of slams Panarin's head into the ice. I would say that was probably suspension worthy and not, or, or at least a little bit more uh, of a fine than $5,000. I know that's the CBA, the, the, you know, the, the maximum <laughs> fine in their CBA, but I, I, could you imagine? Was, what do you think Tom Wilson does when he, when he gets the notice, when Tom Wilson gets the notice that he's been fined $5,000, do you think he's just like, uh, okay. He's like, uh, Here you he's go. Like, let me look. He's like, let me look under my couch cushion. But I think I, I think I got that for you. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, if you're not watching that because you're hanging out here with us, if you're not even a hockey fan, I would suggest you check out the highlights from tonight's Caps uh, Rangers game because there's a lot of fighting that went down and a lot of craziness because of that whole situation. You don't want to miss it. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to get away from hockey. We got a lot to talk about with Jay specifically the aftermath of the NFL draft that was right here in Cleveland, how he feels uh, the Browns did, how we'll kind of go through the picks and all that. But before we get to all of that, of course, we've got to start off with our garage beers of the week. Now, Jay, the last time we did this, the video wasn't released, so people couldn't see your fancy beer with your face on it. Yeah. But now you've got we've got you on camera here, so we're going to let you lead us off again. It's time for Garage Beers of the Week. Jay, what's your Garage Beer of right. this week? I, it's a shame that the that the uh, that the folks that were listening couldn't enjoy um, that beautiful uh, Jay Crawford <laughs> special beer. This one, this one, though, look, I think that the, this this one, you, no one here has heard of it because it's West Coast only. But this is the the wonderful beer that is known as Ginger Ninja. So it's a ginger beer. It is brewed in Corvallis, Oregon. Whoa. Um, I first discovered it in San Diego. I was out in San Diego to visit my son, and they had it at a restaurant, and then we noticed it at a couple of other breweries, and it was it's big there. And um, you can't get it here. Um, so we actually brought some of it back with us the last time, um, we, we came from the West coast and it's a, it's a nice, it's a ginger beer. If you like ginger beer, you'll love it. Yeah. I love it. Sounds delicious. The ginger ninja. (sighs) Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, Hey, next time, that's okay, Jay. Next time we'll have you on, you know, I'm sure there will be like, Oh, the brew kettle made a bottle designed out of a mold of my statue. Like it was. And it's a ginger beer. Yeah. I and still have some of that beer. left. You know, I still have some of the Jay Crawford brew left. So <laughs> we got to come try. It was a pumpkin beer, if I remember correctly. It right? is a pumpkin spice. I save it for the special occasions. You know what I'm saying? That's that's right. Fair. That's well. Right. Hey, we appreciate that we were a special occasion there for a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Jay's got a hard ginger beer. Uh, Chad, what do you got going on over there on the east side? I'm taking it down to Amish country, guys. I'm going to Miller Brewing Company. Uh, Millersburg Brewing Company. 
And it's the Tangelicious Tangerine Ale. Uh, kind of looks like my face on the front of the can there. <laughs> uh, it, it, and it's a Tangerine Ale, and it's it's a, it's a tasty beer. I mean, it's a repeater. I had it on I had it on a couple of episodes ago, but you know, it's so good. I just had to get it again. All right, it's, nice. It's, it's a very delicious and smooth Tangerine Ale, and so Millersburg Brewing Company Tangelicious. Sounds yummy. how dare you insult. How dare you insult the horse on that can like that by saying it looks like your face? <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. All right. So we got one from out west in Cor- Corvallis. We got one from down in Millersburg at the Millersburg Brewery. That'll bring it around to me, and I'm going to just bring it right here to Cleveland. It's one of my favorite times of the year. One of my favorite beers is out, and uh, and I'm going for it. So it's a big one from Great Lakes Brewery. It is the famous <laughs> Lake Erie Monster IPA. It's an Imperial IPA. It's nine and a half percent. And it's it is a fantastic kind of boozy IPA. And uh I only have one of them. Ooh. Thankfully. <laughs> you <laughs> thankfully. only need one of them. <laughs> so I will not be slurring my words by the end of this podcast, but yeah. Jay, what do you think of? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know what? That's thanks for that, thanks for coming on the show, Jack. That's why he only has one of them at nine and a half percent. Yeah, exactly. That's all he needs. Hey, listen, we're a beer podcast here, so there have been times where we have got to the end of the podcast, and there have been some issues putting words together. We're not doing that here tonight. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> all right, so those are our. Those are our Garage Beers of the Week. Uh, You guys get online. Tell us what your Garage Beers of the Week are and uh, give us some suggestions. Get over to our social media at at The Garage Beers. Let us know what you're drinking. And uh, if you got any suggestions, anything we haven't had on the show that you're dying for us to try, send it to us. We'll go get it. So to you guys here on the podcast, Jay and Chad, cheers. To you, the listeners, cheers. Now let's get into it. Let's let's Mm. mention real quick. Yes, Joey. Joey has not left the podcast. He just couldn't be on with us tonight. So our... Our faithful listeners might be going, where's Joe? He's not here tonight. Uh, had some other obligations, but uh, but we miss him, and he'll be back next week. So, anyways, Jay, let's get into the Browns draft. Well, actually, before we do that, I want to I catch up with you a little bit because I, sure. I, I can't really find what's going on. But one thing I do know about you, because you talk about it a lot, is your son, Corey, is, yes. is a hopeful for the summer games in, in Japan this summer. Uh, and there was a, a long story of the delays and everything that happened last year. They eventually canceled that had to have been crushing, uh, but what's going on with him. I know the, I think the Olympic trials are in June. I think they are uh, So yeah. is he prepping for that. He is. In fact, um, he had a meet. It was a premier meet at the Olympic training center last, last Saturday. And um, a lot of Olympic hopefuls in the meet, including a name that you guys might recognize Marquise Goodwin who was drafted by the Bills, and then yeah. he's, w- he's with the 49ers now. Um, he was a 2016 Olympian in the long jump. Corey competed a- against him when he was at the University of Texas, and Corey was at Rutgers. So they competed against each other for the last six or eight years. Um, Corey won the meet with a jump of 26 feet, six or seven inches. I'm not sure. Um, But it was a nice, it was a nice meet because these are all tune-ups to the Olympic trials. Um, 
Marquise is clearly one of the favorites in the United States to once again represent the country. Corey beat him on his last jump. So the way it works is at the whole field, there were 35 jumpers. Everybody gets three jumps. The top nine go to the finals. You get three more. Corey was trailing Marquise by just an inch or two, um, but he beat him by about eight inches on his last jump, which is money in that world because it's kind of like a walk-off. You know, it was he's down to his last shot. He's in second place, and so he hits a monster jump, and um, it was it was a big day for him. In fact, on that day, Corey jumped further than all three of the Olympians from 2016. So it looks yeah. good. I mean, all of that looks great, um, but it, it all comes down to what he does at the trials in June. You've got to win. You've got to be in the top three on that day. And if Corey's jump is amongst the top three against the top 24 jumpers in the United States, then he'll go to Japan and represent the United States in what has really been a long and tumultuous journey. But um, he gave it up when they canceled the Olympics in 2020 because he does not want to train um, into the 2024 games. Um, He sacrificed a ton after college. He knew he wanted to make a run at it at 2020. They canceled the games. And he retired. He said, that's it. I'm going to, he, he wants to be a coach. Um, and so he was pretty much ready to turn the page. And then shortly after that came word that they were going to try in 2021. And he was still training, but not as heavy. And he said, you know what? I've come this far. I can't turn back. So he's, he's going to make a run at it and keeping our fingers crossed that health stays on his side. Cause that's a huge, huge part of it. Um, but if he can remain healthy through the next couple of meets um, and then into the into the Olympic trials in June, then um, you know it, he uh, he'll at least have a chance to represent the U.S., which would be excellent. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess yeah, I'm just I, as, in, I guess I'm just ahead, as important of a note, Jay. I'm just as important of a note, Jay. I'm curious: uh, is the boat in the water? Yeah, uh, do you have the boat? It in is. The water? <laughs> That is just as important. That is just as important. That is not just as important. You know, the only thing that that we're waiting on is the weather now. You know, I mean, we had we had that stretch of 80s in we had some 80s in March and then we had them in in April. And so I was hurry up, hurry up. Let's get this thing in the water. We get it in the water. And I don't think the temperature has risen over. Well, we did have a couple of days where it was in the 70s, but it was gross. It was cloudy and overcast. Nobody wants to go out boating in that. So I'm waiting for that first 80-degree weekend with sunshine so we can get it out and use it. Let's go. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. You're kidding. He's doing fine. How about the boat? (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you got to have the priorities in order, Chad. Exactly. Well, I mean, we did get, you know, your sons (laughs) out of the way. We talked about Corey. We talked about Corey. That's that's 1B. Come on. That is. Listen, Team USA isn't... Team USA is a sponsor in the podcast, so we can't talk about it too much. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not yet. Right. Uh, my only other question on the Olympics was, have you discussed with the brass at, at WKYC there, you know, being the uh, uh, the representative to go to the Olympics if Corey makes it to, to cover the Olympics for WKYC? That certainly has come up. You know, they're not Japan's not allowing fans from any other nation into the games because right. of COVID. Um, but that is an option. So if Corey makes the team, um, that certainly is an option. And we'll, we'll, we'll go, well, you know, I, I'm kind of superstitious. I try not to look too far ahead. I definitely don't want to make plans for it. When I was working at ESPN, 
Corey was um, favored to win the NCAA championship his junior year, and ESPN was telecasting the event. And the directors and the producers had asked me in advance, you know, do you, know, do you have any superstitions? And I said, really, the only superstition I have is I don't want to be on camera when Corey is jumping, and I don't want to be on camera when if Corey is in the lead and it's the last round, I don't want to be on camera because I wear it on my sleeve, fellas. I mean, it's your kid, yeah. right? And and well, I was that way. I was that way as a competitor. Um, I'm very emotional. Nobody ever had to guess. I wonder how Crawford's feeling. So I just said, you know, really out of respect to for everyone, I don't want to be. I don't want to be caught celebrating if Corey wins. I don't want to be caught in a moment of oh my god if he loses. So they they respected that, and as it as it turned out, Corey was in first place for the entire competition, and he was passed on his la- on on a, on oh, a kid, no. fellow by the name of Jerry and Lawson, who ended up um, also being an Olympian. He was the first athlete since Jesse Owens to win the hundred meter the 200 meter and the long jump at an NCAA championship, just a wildly gifted kid. But his PR was a foot behind Corey's PR and Corey was in the lead by a foot. And this kid pulls out an absolute jump of a lifetime, which was like 19 inches past his PR. And it was his last jump. And so Corey lost the NCAA championship on that. And I was thankful that I wasn't on camera because yeah. I just, you know, it just wasn't a good look. I, I mean, and, and I, I took it fine. I, I wasn't, you know, I just didn't want to disrespect Jerrion from Arkansas, who was a deserving champion. And I didn't want Corey to watch that back and to feel like he in any way had let me down. So I'm glad that ESPN respected my wishes and didn't didn't show that live. So it worked out well. Although you've got me, you've got me like, I feel like I need to get into long jump now because of like, I didn't know there were (laughs) walk-off long jumps. Yeah. Like who doesn't live for the walk-off? I'm in for that. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. It really is. It's great when you hit one, when someone hits one against you, it's pretty, you know, it's just like giving one up as a pitcher. It's a long walk back to the dugout. (laughs) I I have a, well, you'll be able to catch. Oh, no, go ahead. I have a buddy who's a, a Olympic hammer thrower. Uh, for, for, it was for a few years. Uh, A.G. Kruger, his name, and I'm terrified of him. By the way, yeah. he's, he's probably <laughs> he's probably six foot six, two hundred and seventy five pounds. It's funny uh, you say that because Corey's first year at the Olympic Training Center, he had three roommates, and they were all throwers. Oh, one geez. was one was a discus, one was a shot put, and these guys were like six seven. 300 you know and here's Corey, six foot 180 you know oh my gosh hi guys yeah it was it was it was funny jay i have a friend who was probably the same size like six as Corey, uh back at and you know obviously you know we were hanging out with ag one night having a couple of adult beverages like you do in college obviously of age obviously of age uh But um, I, I just remember that uh, Jason, his name's Jason. He decided to say the wrong thing to Ag one night, and oh, no. I'm not. I, I'm not kidding, guys. Ag grabs Jason by the top of his head, nothing else. Top of his head, gripped him, and just lifted him up and threw him against the wall. <laughs> and, and I and I went, all right. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Those, those, those guys are different species from a different planet. It's yeah. crazy. 
Uh, and I'm glad I'm friends with that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep him on your good side. I, yeah. I think your head would have been safe, Chad. Uh, anyways, oh. we're going to get off of track and field. But again, if you want to keep track of what Corey's doing, uh, that's happening in June out in uh, Oregon, where I feel like all the track things always happen. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, and I'm sure uh, Jay will be beaming with pride if, if Corey does happen to make it to the one way or another, e- e- even if he doesn't, uh, um, you know, beaming Fair. with pride. He's just had yes. four time first team NCAA all American. <laughs> I've told him whatever he gets out of this from here is icing on the cake. If it happens to be a trip to the Olympics, that's great. But the sport has given him an incredible life and I'm, I couldn't be more proud of him. Yeah. Your son jumps 26 plus feet in the air in one jump. Yeah, he's a your your kid's a kangaroo. You gave birth. Your you and your wife gave birth to a kangaroo. That's it, see, it, it seems like it. So his longest is twenty seven feet. And I always tell Jeez. people, if you want to try to get your mind around that, that's like jumping from the nine yard line into right. the end zone. You're almost what? jumping for a first down. Jesus, <laughs> do they serve Jesus. snacks on that flight? <laughs> yeah. Goodness. All right, yeah, well, we wish nice. you the best of luck with that, obviously. But thank you. Let's get into uh, let's get into the big event from this last weekend, and and what a weekend it was. Mm. Uh, a because of everything everybody's gone through uh, this past year. Uh, Jay, we caught up with you close to the same time last year, as a lot of this stuff was still pretty new. We didn't know how long it was going to last, but you know, it was kind of one of the very first things. One of the very first big events like that, you know, we were used to watching the drafts online or, you know, uh, virtual drafts and all that. And so to have in Cleveland the event the way they did and they put it on, I thought it was spectacular. I think we here in Cleveland, us native Clevelanders, when we see our city on TV and they make it look really good, it means something to us. I think they made Cleveland look great. Uh, So were you able to take part in some of the fun? Were you working down there? Uh, What did you have going on during the draft? I was down there for some of it and I watched some of it at home on television and you're absolutely right. They, you know, that's what, that's what television does so well is they, they can capture the moment, particularly from a distance. And the shots that they were giving us of downtown Cleveland and the lights and the fans, first of all, it's impossible for that stage, the way it was lit, to not look magnificent. But, guys, there was a stretch of three days where Cleveland was front and center on the national stage. And quite frankly, I don't think we could have looked any better. I really don't. I thought – You know, it was just a terrific event. Um, We really played up, I I think, the highlights of what our city has to offer. And you're right. I mean, I watched the Kentucky Derby over the weekend. And, you know, we haven't seen that number of people together for a sporting event. It would just, you know, it, it used to be the norm. And now, you know, last year we played baseball games in front of cardboard cutouts. So... (laughs) It was nice, yeah. and I hope that it, that is kind of the catapult because, you know, obviously there are fans at baseball games, um, most of them in a limited fashion. But, you know, my hope is that, you know, this is really a springboard to the return of the normalcy that we've all lived our whole lives with and that we can put this terrible uh, coronavirus in the rearview mirror and um, and resume our lives because really, for the most part, you know, those of us that were lucky enough to come through it, um, we we didn't really know what the next day was going to bring. And um, it was terrifying yeah. for a lot of people. And <laughs> I think as a country, we're ready to shed that coat 
and to come out of our cabins after a 12, 14 months sequester. And it's, I hope it, you know, it seems to be happening just in time as the springtime weather is coming. So I'm hoping for a, a fun and vibrant, uh, exciting summer outdoors with the masses. Yeah, I'll tell you, it was, uh, we went down, I took my son who is getting ready to turn four this month. So I took my son. It's one of the first big sports. I've taken him to a couple Indians games, but one of the first big sports things, he had the greatest time. He was out down on the oh, field bet. at the stadium, you know, being around the people was fun. Uh, it was just that, that little fan experience thing that they put on was great. <laughs> uh, you know, we had a great time down there. It just was very cool to see again. It, it just, it was like a thing that uplifted the spirits. It, it, I was down there for a good chunk of it, whether I was there or just downtown. And it was like, life almost started to feel normal again. Yeah. And just to see traffic sounds- on the streets down there. Yes. Yeah. I go yes. down there every day for work and w- I, I, it feels like it's been nuclear winter when you drive to work. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was yeah, a stretch exactly when right. I, I did the show from home for, I guess about five or six months. And when I finally went back driving through the streets of Cleveland was, it was absolutely like I was in a movie. I didn't see other right. cars. I didn't see people right. on the streets. I, it was just bizarre. And, you know, gradually we've increased the traffic and now it's starting to feel a lot more like normal. But when when I was down there Thursday and you could really start to feel the buzz of the draft coming, there were people everywhere you looked and there were cars and there were people waiting at traffic lights to cross. I hadn't seen that in a year. And so, right. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was great. It really was. It was great. But leave it up to Roger Goodell and the NFL to bring some awkwardness to the great moment, though. That chair I know. on the damn stage was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I don't know whose idea that was. It had to be Roger's idea because usually the marketing folks at the NFL are literally the best on the planet. How about yeah. him being shielded with three Cleveland bodyguards when he was introduced? How can you possibly boo when he's walking onto the stage with Joe Thomas, Bernie Kosar, and Jarvis yeah, Landry. Exactly. The only one missing was Jim Brown. So he literally right. had a human shield entourage, and he still got booed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, didn't have his, he didn't have his jar of comfort M&Ms with him at the draft. That's the only thing I was waiting to see if he was going to bring, his M&Ms that he ate like 200 of during the draft last yeah, year. Yeah, that was, that was another bizarre, crazy thing. But oh. Uh, and we won't even talk about who sat in the chair. But anyways, uh, were you able to catch up with any of your former, you know, there were a ton of ESPN colleagues, former colleagues, a ton of yeah. uh, NFL Network. Were you able to show them around town a little bit, catch up I with was. them a little bit? I, so I, I um, Booger McFarland texted me a couple of weeks before the draft. And he said, where are we playing golf? And so I thought about it for a minute and I said, I'll get us on at a nice place. So I, I called and I, I said, how many guys are you going to be with? He said, three. Uh, counting me three. So I made uh, a foursome at Kirtland and I thought, you know, it's going to be great. And then as the weather got close, I kept seeing that Tuesday might be the pick day. And I had agreed to MC the legends, the NFL legends luncheon for the NFL draft on Tuesday. So I actually had to, I I had to cancel. I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy um, a beautiful day on the golf course. I had a great time. Um, at the event, it was, uh, it was fun. And uh, I got to see a lot of people that I know and that, that was nice. But, 
Um, I caught up with my buddy Kirk Herbstreet, who I worked with in local TV um, at a station in Columbus. That's where Kirk got his start. Right. And then obviously we, we worked together for a number of years at ESPN. We've been longtime friends. So I was able to catch up with Kirk. That was great. I went to a baseball, an Indians game um, with um, my old producer from First Take, my old producer oh, nice. from Sports Center on the Road. Oh, and cool. my old, um, actually, he wasn't a teammate of mine. He was a competitor of mine in the independent baseball league that I played in in Connecticut. Drew Gallagher, he produces uh, College Game Day. So three oh, cool. very close friends of mine. We went to an Indians game, and again, gorgeous weather. It was just absolutely <laughs> beautiful. We went to that game Tuesday night that they ended up winning handily. Um, so yes. it was. It really was a uh, a fun a fun time, and and I always like catching up with and seeing former colleagues of mine, and um, and reminding myself how good it feels to be off that never ending treadmill. When you're on it, <laughs> yeah. you can't let anybody talk you into the fact that this is sheer madness, because the human <laughs> the human spirit is is conditioned to block out any negative things that you can't overcome some things you have to deal with. So if you get sentenced to prison, you can't change that. So you have to accept that. I'm not, I'm not equating working at ESPN with being in prison, (laughs) but what I'm saying is when you're in that merry-go-round Ferris wheel carnival, you don't even know what you're, you, you don't even realize it. You just focus on your job and, your next task, but that treadmill moves at such a crazy rate of speed. And for 16 years, I hosted a two hour live program every single day. And I didn't realize the toll that took on my body and my psyche until I jumped off of it. And, and now when I'm with these guys, I look at them and yeah, I even tell some of them, I'm like, you you poor bastards, man. You don't even know. You you don't even wow, Bieber is getting touched up. What is going on? No, stop it. Stop it. Um I, I, I just I look at them and I'm like, God, guys, one day when you jump off the Ferris wheel, you're gonna call me and you're gonna say, Do you remember those 13 times that you told me that I don't really even know what I'm the the cyclone I'm in? they'll get it because I was told that when I was in the midst of it too, by folks that had worked there and had gotten out and had gotten their lives back. They had tried telling me, Hey man, there's a whole world out there. That's not sports related that you could be immersed in if you weren't drowning in sports and um, you hear it, but you just, you know, you do the human spirit does what it has to do to get to the next piece on the, on the, on the, on the board. On the game board, you just block it all out. And you just get there, and um, yeah. So uh, when I'm with them, although I enjoy their company and I, I hear their stories of their day to day grind, and I'm like, oh my god, that <laughs> it just gives you the willies. <laughs> that used to be oh. me, and I, <laughs> yeah. I, and and I didn't, and I probably, 
was telling those stories in front of people that had worked there and had gotten out. And they were probably looking at me the way I'm looking at my buddies now, like you poor, poor things. Oh. I, I, I can't tell you. Now, Herbie's different because Herbie's gig, he, I say Herbie's got the best gig in TV. You know, he's off for seven months out of the year. He he covers one thing, so he immerses himself in college football. But if he doesn't want to pay attention to a Nuggets-Lakers game at 10 o'clock on a Thursday, he doesn't have to. I had to follow that <laughs> nonsense because I may walk in the next day and Bayless may be on a tirade about the triple double that so-and-so score, you know, so, so your, your, your antenna are always on and you're watching everything. And it's, I gotta tell you, man, it's not prison, but it's like a sentence, you know, it's like you're, you, you are literally tied to the Sixers Rockets game because who knows whether or not Skip's going to want to go off on that tomorrow. So yeah, no, um, no. Hey, Jay, Jay, we totally, we totally get it. The, the, for 16 years, the prison guard came out and unlocked the cage on your office, the cage door on your office. Yeah. Out of there. No. <laughs> threw me, a, threw me a loaf of bread and a, and a bottle of water. <laughs> a loaf of bread. No, no but listen, that's a fact. I'm it's glad, fascinating. I'm glad I got to do it. It was, it was an incredible yeah. 16 years. The things that I was able to do. The places I was able to go and the people yeah, I was yeah. able to meet, it's it's five books. It's six oh. books. It's the stories are unbelievable. I hold them all real close. And it was an incredible run, and I loved every minute of it. I truly did. But it's one of those things that there should be term limits on. There should, you know, you should be able to do four contracts and no more, yeah. <laughs> you know, because um, it's for the lifers, the Bermans, the Bob Lees of the world. Like, that's all those. That's the only place those guys ever worked. Yeah. You know, at least before I got there, I had worked in four markets, some big, some small. And I kind of got a taste of TV on the way up. And so I did know that there was a whole other world out there in broadcast or in TV that wasn't like this nonstop treadmill that goes on a 12 yeah. and, you, and it, it never slows down. So I knew that that was out there. And I think that allowed me to easier and more easy in my situation to be able to say, you know what, I'm ready to go back to that. I, I miss that. It was a great life. It's, a, it's, a, it's also a very fun job. You get to do a lot of fun things and meet a lot of cool people. Um, but for the people that are lifers then have been there and that's the only job they've ever had, the only place they've ever worked. They think that's all there is. That's it. You know, it's crazy. But like I said, it's fascinating in that, uh, you know, when you talk about I'm a sports broadcaster, I work in, in broadcasting sports and then you bring up ESPN. That's the pinnacle. That's, that's, you've made it to the top of the sports broadcasting world. You were at the top and then it just speaks to what people are willing to put themselves through, yourself included. And then you're talking about your buddies that look a little bit worn down, a little, yeah. bit, a little bit run ragged uh, yeah. to, to stay there and to do what you need to do to stay there. And then what it would take mentally to just say, listen, this is great, but I need to not do this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and- it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. I know people that came to that realization real early in their time at ESPN. I know people that were there for, for one, three, or maybe a four-year contract. And they knew at jump, okay, this isn't for me. Because it's not for everybody. It really isn't. Because, like yeah. I said, the, um, the obligation that you're under 
is so incredibly intense. And it's just this, it's a massive shark tank. Every, like, oh, when, yeah. you, when you have a good job, and I, I, I was so blessed, I always did. I mean, I got to launch the first ever live morning sports show on national right. TV from New York City. So this was a this was a job that a lot of people coveted. And so obviously the whole time I was in it, which was I was I was nine years with cold pizza, which became first take. So the whole time I'm sitting on that chair, I got every male in the company wanting to dethrone me. They wanted that gig. They wanted that plum morning show slot in New York City. It looked glamorous. It you know, I mean, it was just as much work as any other job at the network, but, oh, unearned run. Come on guys. So, I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was intense, man. And some people got there and within a cup of coffee recognized what it was. And they were like, okay, uh, I got to call my old news director back in Washington and see if they got a spot for me because this isn't working. So a lot of people that you see for a minute and then they disappear Oftentimes, that's what happened. They realized that um, that job was going to do one of two things. It was either going to kill them early or it was going to lead them into an existence where there was basically no life. You know, you didn't yeah. have a life outside of work because, let's face it, the sports clock is constantly moving. And I was yeah. working mornings, so I had to be up at 4 in the morning. But uh, the sports world is going on East Coast till 2 a.m. with games on the West Coast. So when in the world are you supposed to sleep? When are you supposed to? It was it was brutal. I mean, um, as much as I loved it, there were a lot of things about the job that um, looking back on it, I don't know how I I don't know how I pushed them to the back of my mind and just forged on for 16 years without thinking about all those elements. I can't get out of my head when you're talking about those people that were there just real quickly like for one contract or whatever, I can't get Clark Griswold at the Grand Canyon in the original vacation out of my head. <laughs> yep. where he just, where he just there stands there like, oh, back in the car, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's exactly what it was for some people. And, you know, they worried about it because they're like, this will this be a stain on my career? Will people, you know, will 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 news directors look at me and wonder, you know, why that why this three year blip? But I always used to tell everybody, man, look, this there's no there's no dress rehearsal for life. You get one shot at it. And if you know that you're in a situation that isn't good for you professionally or personally, exit immediately. Like just figure out the next step after you take that step. Right. You'll figure it out. You know, the, most of the, the people there are wildly talented. They've cl- they're clearly the best in their profession. They've risen to the top. And the beautiful yeah. thing about ESPN, and this is what I tell, I, I can't tell you how many calls I've fielded from on-air personalities at ESPN wanting to pick my brain and talk about the navigation of the career back to the local game. Cause that's where we all come from. Right. And so they want to know, um, was it seamless for you? Is it more enjoyable? What is your day to day? Like, was it difficult for you to, you know, did you have a lot of opportunities? So they, they know in their mind, they see that that, that national landscape is, is shrinking their, their production costs have skyrocketed with rights fees the way they are. You saw what they paid for the, for the most recent NFL contract. That's going right. to, that's going to lead to the next round of layoffs. And the guys that I, right. I spoke to several guys over the last week and they were like, look, everybody in that company is living life. 
looking over their shoulder. They're, 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 they're waiting for the call. And that's no way to, you know, that's a terrible way to, to have to, um, to have to go through life. So, you know, I've tried to give the best advice that I can. I can only speak of my experience and what it's been like for me. For me, it's been a dream come true. I wanted to come to my hometown and I was fortunate enough to have several opportunities here that I could choose between. Um, I was also a guy that kind of built a brand while I was there as this Cleveland sports fanatic. So it was much easier yep. for me because everybody here in Cleveland knew that, oh God, that's the Yahoo that loves us so much. He went on TV and <laughs> wore it on his sleeve every day. Um, so I was very fortunate in, in, and my situation too was I'm at, you know, I'm, at, I'm way closer to the end of my career. My kids are raised. I've, you know, I've right. been planning for the afterlife for a very long time. <laughs> and I am by afterlife, I mean, you know, the post TV game. Not, not, oh, right. that's what you not, meant. Not, oh, got not, it. Not the afterlife. <laughs> so, in my in in my situation, um, it was a lot easier for me. It was um, I didn't feel like I had this. You know, there are some guys that have young kids and have college. You know, they've got one not to be named um, on air talent who has three younger children. Said, "I'm in a situation where I'm looking at 12 years of college tuition." Well, you know, that's a couple million bucks, you know? Yeah. So, and man, when I, I, I hear those stories and I'm like, oh my God, first of all, thank God my son was a world-class athlete and all of his college fund was able to be preserved. He didn't need it because his college was paid for because of his athletic ability, but his sister went to Columbia and that wasn't cheap. So we had to kind of steal a little bit from Corey's to get Kirsten through. But when I'm hearing these stories, I'm like, oh, my God, thank God all that's behind me. I couldn't imagine the professional pressure of having to do that for three or four kids. And you've got 12 or 16 years of college tuition looking at you down the barrel. Um, That's how that's that's probably why a lot of people just get up and go to work and they don't think about anything but getting through today. You know, and that's that, that's a crazy way to live life, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, we appreciate you sharing a little bit about that with ESPN. I'm glad you got to meet up with some of your some of your partners. And that's again, uh, that's what I love about the show. Sometimes we just kind of go down these roads we weren't planning on. But that was really, really cool. With all that Thank being you. said, let's talk about let's talk about these brownies uh, for a minute, because as much as Cleveland, I think, crushed the draft and having the draft here and how great it was and everybody was saying good things and all that. There's a big sentiment around that the Cleveland Browns did the same thing to this draft as far as as how they handled their business. So uh, we just kind of want to go through. We haven't recapped the draft on the show. We just want to go through and recap what the Browns did in the draft. And for me, I think the story of the first two rounds is all about it, it should be called the Andrew Berry surprise. And I don't think Andrew Berry surprised anybody. What I mean by that is I think what Andrew Barry walked into completely surprised him. Surprised everybody. I think he had no idea, especially Greg Newsom. There's no way Andrew Barry thought he was going to be sitting there at 26. Well, more importantly, he didn't think he would get the linebacker from Notre Dame in the second round. (laughs) Daniel Jeremiah and I were texting during the draft. And if you watched NFL Network's coverage, which, by the way, was as good a draft coverage as I have ever seen. the te- First of all, Rich Eisen is the absolute 
most professional. He has every gear. He's funny. He's smart. He's knowledgeable. But more importantly, he knows how to set up his guys. It was like I I felt like I was at a college frat party. Those four were laughing all night long (laughs) while informing us and entertaining us. And that's very difficult to do. But I thought and Jeremiah, who's a guy who I was around when at ESPN, when he worked there, when he first got into TV and knew nothing about it. It was fun for me to watch him. I think he's turned into the best draft draft uh, analyst on TV. But we kept texting back and forth and we're like, how far is this guy going to go? Jeremiah had him as his 15th best player in the draft. And I jokingly thought to myself, God, wouldn't it be funny if he just fell all the way to late in the second round? (laughs) And and obviously I'm thinking there's there's a 0% chance that's going to happen. Zero. Because from talking to the guys that I spoke to, his name was never lower than third best uh, talent at linebacker. And I knew that we were going to come out of it out of the first two rounds with the linebacker. So I honestly thought that they may take him in the first round. I really did. And when we didn't, I thought, well, you know what? That's okay. We got a great player with a great background from a great school. It's okay. We'll find a linebacker. Right. You know, it's not going to be him. But we'll, and then when 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 he kept falling and falling, I kept saying, "Trade up, trade up," because that's his thing. That's Andrew Barry's thing. I I knew he was going to do it if the right player and the right teams were involved. And um, as soon as it ha- as soon as the trade happened, I knew what was going on, and I just thought, "Oh my God, we're going to get two first round caliber talent." in the first two rounds. And that's how you that's how you maintain a successful organization. You find steals in rounds 3 through 7, right? Particularly 3, 4 and 5. You 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 hit on players there that you weren't expected to hit on. But part of that equation is your first two picks have to be home runs. We hit a home run with our first round pick and in my view, we hit the walk off with the second round pick. So I just think that, you know, we address the two areas of need on our team, the two, two of the biggest areas of need on our team. And then I just thought it was very, it was very surgeon like the way Andrew filled in the other blanks with quality names who we may not have known a lot about, but once we dug into them and we heard more about who they were and what they've done, you're like, yeah, yeah, this 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 fits. You know, I don't see any bad characters. I don't see any baggage. I don't see any Johnny Manzels. I don't see anybody we have to hold our breath on. So now we wait. You know, these things take three years to flush out. I when Mac Wilson was drafted, I was excited. When Taki Taki was drafted, I'm like, who? Who? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, I thought Mac Wilson was gonna be a guy that we could hang our hat on for that at that position for a yeah. long time. I was wrong. You know, I mean, and, and he still may, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying at this point that the organization has completely flushed, flushed their hand or washed their hands of them and flushed them down the toilet. But, um, you know, when you have a hit within the first two years and he hasn't done that yet, Yeah, he hasn't broken through and been that hit that we were hoping that he would be. So, if, if he develops further down the road, that's great. But I think these young kids are going to be super. So I have a question for you, Jay. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. I think I got that right. Uh, J-O-C. 
Nailed J-O-C. It. Yeah. J-O-K. 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 Yeah. Yeah, J-O-K. Um, so, I, you know, a couple of days later, it came out that he had an undisclosed medical condition as one of the reasons why he fell a, yeah. a little bit. But it said, but, you know, but the Browns doctors cleared him. And, and the other reason that you see was that, you know, because of his size, a lot of teams didn't have a plan for him. So, and Brown's doctors cleared him of that medical condition. So was it really the medical condition or was it like, or, or, or was it more of like because of his size and, and position or hybrid, I guess, that teams really didn't have a plan for him? Like, because if the Brown's doctors cleared him, certainly like other teams, right. doctors could have cleared him. Could have, like, but it doesn't always work that way. So a red flag can be put up by an organization. And it, it, it's such a it's such an incestuous business. If Baltimore looks at this kid and there's a problem, within a matter of hours, the other 31 teams are going to know about that. You know, and now you do your due diligence on a player. You do you you investigate the player's background. You look into his you know his upbringing, where he comes from. You know what he likes to do. They they dig deep into what, who these guys are, because you don't want to make mistakes because these are million-dollar mistakes when you make them. Yeah. So a team can put a red flag up on a guy, and oftentimes that's going to scare a good number of other teams. Well, if there's something there, if, if Baltimore saw something, there must be something there. And so teams will take them off their draft board. They don't want risks. The way you succeed in the NFL draft is to eliminate as much risk as you can. inherently there's going to be risk. It's a lottery. You don't know how anybody's going to turn out. But the the thing of it is, I mean, look back. I always tell people this. You guys are probably too young to remember this. Once upon a time, the big draft dilemma was Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf. That was the big draft dilemma. And one of them was losing his mind on a national stage in real time in front of us. While the other one has gone on to be a billion dollar empire of pitchman slash Hall of Fame quarterback skill. (laughs) So if this were a science, that wouldn't have been the big question of the draft. Right. Right. So it's not a science. It's not. So some teams will hear some of this chatter and they'll further look into it. Other teams will hear it and they'll say, take them off the board. And and, and now remember this, guys, remember this. The game of the NFL draft is trying to sort out fact from fiction. What's real and what's fake news? There's there's no more fake news uh, than there is in the NFL draft. Much of it started by GMs and scouts. They'll tell a reporter, "We looked into it, uh, or or, or you know, this player did horribly on this, or he, he had some real red flags that we found." Hoping perhaps that his draft stock plummets and they can get him at twenty six. Right. So it's all right. this, this, it's this weird game of espionage in this very closed quarter, yeah. incestuous bubble of 32. And so what leads to a player plummeting? Who knows? Justin Fields is an example. I saw a story that was leaked. Um, I don't know. I shouldn't say leaked. I saw a story that hit the wires after the draft that said Justin Fields scored higher on an athlete psychological IQ evaluation test than any other athlete that's ever taken the test 
and it's been administered to 65,000 athletes. Okay, so what? if that's true, okay, somebody knew about it before the draft, the Bears, and they kept it under wraps. That wouldn't be anything that they would want to share because then that player might be gone before their, their name was called. Um, I've also heard teams put out information about a player that is not true, as I said before in the other scenario, in hopes that teams would gobble up this information and look at it as gospel and they would avoid him. I don't know what happened in the case of JLK. I really don't. I don't know whether I, I don't know what happened. I know this. Yeah. Everybody was buying into the notion that he's not as good as his tape. Right? I mean his tape speaks for itself. But everybody yeah. was buying into the notion that he's not really that good. So he slipped, he slipped, he slipped. He's into day two. The Browns are sitting there. They're biting their nails. How many more picks do we have to hold our breath on? And they finally got to the point where the risk was outweighed by the potential reward of what this guy could become. And it's funny. I love looking back on 1985 pre-draft columns. What were people saying about the players that were going to come up? It's it's filled with misses and it's filled with, with, with opinion that this guy's going to be terrible and the guy's in the Hall of Fame, or this guy is right. a can't-miss, surefire, gold-jacket Hall of Famer one day, and the guy has you know a one-contract career, and he's done. And yeah. so it's you just can't figure it out. I, I, by all accounts, Andrew Barry is a wizard. I mean, every move yeah. he's made so far has been yes. like – Jedi, you were looking at this guy going, what? You know, and because we're not used to that. We're used to us making exactly the wrong move. And I'm not yeah. saying Andrew's not going to have misses. He, he will. He absolutely will. Um, but the way you secure a long career as a GM in the NFL is to have more, more hits than misses. And so far, he's got a nice little, nice little drawer of equity built up. To where well, um, when his miss is finally hit, they're not going to be career ending. And Jay, as, as Browns fans, how many times have we done it over the years? How many times have we been watching the draft, trying to do our own thing, and you watch that one player where you're like, that guy is going to be awesome, he's going to be awesome, he's going to be awesome, and for some reason he's slipping, and all of a sudden Pittsburgh's on the clock. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Every or time. Baltimore's on the clock. What in the hell? Baltimore. Yeah, I know. And they always so, take them. Yep, they and do. I, this is this is what they must feel like. Other teams must have been out there looking at other fans. Must have been out there looking at JOK, being like, "What's happening? What's happening?" And then he lands at the Browns. I do for good reason. We jumped to JOK because that was, pardon my French, but that was the holy shit moment of the draft. No, no doubt that he fell. The Browns trade up. They get him. But I think in Andrew Barry's head, that moment is in the first round. I think. Many, many people had those four cornerbacks going in the top 15, top 18. Yeah. Greg Newsom, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, and Caleb Farley. So I think for Greg right. Newsom to fall to 26, crazy. I, I think you're right. And and this is what I what I love about Andrew Barry. And I, every GM does this. They have alternative plans. What if a tight end is off the board at four? Are we going to see a run at tight ends then? 
What if a running back goes at 11? Are we, what's going to happen? How will that lead to dominoes falling in ways we didn't predict? And what I loved about the way the first round unfolded for us, we haven't been in this position in forever. We're always able to dictate, well, we're third. So we, if, if this guy's gone, we want this guy. And if they're both gone, we get this guy and we win, right? I mean, that's the way it goes. Boom. But when you're 26, there are now 25 different scenarios you have to prepare for, right? Right. What if this guy goes and this guy – so the – if you're rating players and you're of the mindset that you, and the Browns aren't because they don't need to be now, but if you're of the mindset that you're taking best available, because that's what the Browns used to do because we were, we needed everything. Now we're going in and I always say it's, you're not going grocery shopping. That's what we did for 20 years. We, our cupboards are bare. We're going to the grocery store and I'm grabbing everything. I'm starved and everything looks delicious. So, now, you know what we're doing? We're doing that midweek quick trip to the market. We know what we need. We, we need fruit or we need yes. milk. And yes. so we walk right by go all of those other market. aisles and we go right to what we need. And that's how you get fat in the NFL. And so, and, and we knew what our needs were. And we addressed all of them, and we addressed them with quality players. And the beauty of what happened is we got a, in my view, we got a front-of-the-first-round talent in the back end of the first round, late yes. in the back end. And we got a first-round talent in the second round. So that's an A-plus. That's a win-win. That is the, that's yeah. the definition. That's the definition. Again, I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that Newsom was like the flashiest of the cornerbacks out there that came out. But I'd like to remind everybody that last year, all season long, he gave up less than a hundred yards to the receivers he was covering total. Yeah, all year. I mean, he less than a hundred yards. He didn't play much, right? I mean, he missed a lot of time. I thought he didn't. How many? How many games did he play last year? Uh, he did miss some time. I think he played a majority I, of the year. Look, though. I, so my concern with him is is durability and Six and games. and okay. So which last year was a majority of the year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think Ohio State played eight, maybe, or yeah. or was that yeah. counting the the Big Ten championship game? I'm not sure. Here's what here's what scares me. Um, we drafted a player that does have durability issues. There's you know, I mean, he has had some soft tissue injury injuries through his career that have forced him to miss time. We drafted a player with durability issues at a position where we have big durability issues in right. Greedy Williams. And so Greedy, when you stand next to him and he's not in a football uniform, you're looking at him like, dude, what are you doing here? There's no way you're <laughs> like, I mean, he does. He just, and he'll. I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. It's just, you know, he's just. What, his what legs high school do you go super to? Super tiny. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's amazing. It really is. And um, so, I, and then Denzel has missed parts of all of his pro seasons with injuries. Right. So for me, I think the one the one thing that will keep Andrew Barry up at night are the concerns over the health of that position group. Yeah. You know, can Ward stay on the field? Can Greedy stay on the field? And now you go and you draft Newsom, who's got those, he has some durability issues. 
And that's probably why he slipped to the to the place that he did. But you just you, at this point, you're hoping that between the three of them, two of them can be available most of the time. And even if you have right. to mix and match to get two good, if you get two of those guys on the field for 16 games, you're way ahead of the game. So that's that's the that's the goal at this point. And you know you can't predict injuries. The only thing you can do is take the information that you have on a player prior to that you drafting him and trying to trying to fold that into your decision-making process. And I'm sure there were discussions in the Browns draft room about that. And in the, in the weeks leading up to the draft, we like this kid a lot. He's a great player. I love his confidence. I mean, right. to me, if you don't have a corner that thinks he's the best player in the league, you probably have an issue at that position. You know, and it's the same at wide receiver too. You want those guys will come back to the huddle and tell the quarterback they're open on every play, and they think they are. And corners, um, corners believe that they can cover anybody in any situation. I haven't seen Bieber get hit like this. In can can he stop it? Maybe can he please stop it? It's it's a wrap now. It's four nothing. He just gave up a base a, a, a two run double. And it's I not mean, a rap. they're not, they're squaring up balls and they're, uh, oh, good news. This just in from the NBA, the, the uh, Cavaliers lost to the Trailblazers tonight, 141 yeah. to 105. Can the Browns get that draft pick, baby? Quick? Can uh, the Browns play like right now? Get so, that draft yeah, pick. Yeah, um, please, please. Okay, so I do want to hey, You want to hear time. wild stat? This is way off yes. topic. You want to hear wild stat? Wild status. Yeah. In, there are two different regimes in the in the uh, in the uh, uh, current Cavaliers ownership tenure. Okay, so follow me. Dan Gilbert bought the team in March of '05. So from '06 right. uh-huh. to now, '06 to now, there were nine seasons where he had LeBron James, and this will be the seventh cleat season where he did not. Their winning percentage in the nine oh, no. years with LeBron James, <laughs> 655. Oh, God. Their oh, God. winning percentage in the seven years without LeBron James, 292. <laughs> and here's what's worse. Is that bad? Is that bad? That's bad. Here's what's worse about yeah. that. Oh. We have held the Browns up as this beacon of awfulness in professional sports yep. over the last two decades. Going back to that same time when Gilbert bought the team in 06, the Browns winning percentage is oh, no. 319. It's actually better than the Cavs <laughs> in the years where LeBron oh, no. James wasn't on the <laughs> roster. And, wow. and yes. with tonight's loss, the Cavs seem to be fixating on finishing 15th and dead last in the East. If they finish 15th in the East, here would be the places that the Cavs finished in the East in the non-LeBron years under Dan Gilbert's ownership. Three 15s, (laughs) two 14s, a 13, and a 10. No play. Ten gives us hope, baby. The ten gives us hope. Well, the ten was when Kyrie was like kind of becoming a star. (laughs) It was the last year before LeBron came back. 
Yeah. So I know that Gilbert brought Cleveland a, a, a NBA title, and we tend to think of him as, oh, my God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, he's been a dumpster fire of an owner. Well, I think there's so much. And, again, I, I, I don't know that we have the time. I don't know that I have the energy for the Cavaliers no, right now. However, I don't either. I should have never brought it up. I give, comes, I give. And here comes another five chicken lottery, despite those. Oh, well, that's the other thing. We'll, we'll probably wind up with the worst record and get the eighth pick in the draft or something like that. And draft uh, a guy that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think a real discussion, as sad as this makes me because I want to like him, I think a real discussion needs to start happening about Kobe Altman because he's, he's not been great. His drafts no. have been okay. But his moves have not been good. His trades have not been good. Uh, so, You're being nice. Yeah. You're being nice. And I like I like Kobe. I root for him. I want him to do well. But holy cow. I mean, the proof we got a comment is in the numbers. That, we got a comment that the eighth pick got us a stud last time, referring to Colin Sexton. Oh, he I don't was, know that I'm going to call Colin I, a stud at this point. Well, listen, he needs to be coached. He, he, you know, like I think he's a, a great talent, but um, you got four other guys on the feet on the floor with you, you know. Use them, mm-hmm. and it's just well, it's, and, it's and like somebody's you know, leaking. Somebody's leaking to the media that that the players are complaining about how much he handles the ball and all that. So, well, anyways, it's not been case. a good end of the year for the Cavaliers. It's it's nope. not been. There's been some promising things that have happened. Darius Garland has played well. Colin Sexton Very looks well. like he can be a star. Uh, Isaac Okoro is coming around this back half of the year, which is awesome. I keep seeing more and more from him that excites me. Yes. But. So we'll see what happens, but good grief. That season's almost over, which is fine. Uh, real quickly, back to the Browns. Okay. Uh, a couple picks that I just wanted to hit on. The round three pick, and I think I think Browns fans are so conditioned. I think Browns fans are so conditioned with wide receivers in the draft that they need like their next stud wide receiver that I think a lot of Browns fans were like Anthony Schwartz. Why are you taking Anthony Schwartz? Cause he's not a polished wide out, but he oh. runs four two speed. The guy's a track athlete. Yeah. But when you, absolutely. when you factor in like in my head and you tell me what you think, Jay, in my head, Anthony Schwartz, I think they envision him as like the Miko Hardman of the chiefs. He's not, he's not one of your main wide receivers, but you can swing it to him out of the backfield. You can you can hide him and, and run like screens out to him, and he can break a defense at any point in time. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Chiefs and made that comparison, and here's why. In the 2020 version of the NFL, we are finding more and more that teams are getting creative in ways to get the ball into their playmakers' hands, right? And Hardman's a great example yeah. of that. Like, when a guy has that kind of ability – just put the ball in his hands and and he's going to make right. something happen and i think that i think schwartz is the exact same guy because and here's the other thing that he could be valuable with he's going to take the top off the defense even right. if he if you send him on a go route someone's got to follow him and that that right. someone is going to create an opening either on a crossing route over the middle or there's going to be a, a pocket in the defense that Landry or Beckham can slide into because you've got Schwartz commanding attention on deep routes. And if you don't pay him attention, he's going to get behind the defense and Baker yes. is going to find him because he's, right. he's 
proven that he can do that with the deep ball. So I think it's, again, we went to the grocery store with a very defined shopping list of what we needed. And we weren't hungry when we were shopping. We No. And we went through this nine items or less line and we had a smile on our face the whole time because nobody was in line in front of us. And we just went through the cash register. Bloop, bloop, bloop. We gave them our card. We walked out. And when we were walking out of the grocery store, we were looking over our shoulder like, like, did I steal something? Did right. I, right. I, I paid for everything, right? Why do I feel yeah. like I just committed larceny? Because yeah. we got what we needed, and I think we checked every box that of, of, of what we needed. And I don't think I could have I, I couldn't have written a better draft before the draft. I couldn't have done it. You know, I mean yeah. everybody knew what we needed, but it seems like we came out of there with the best available player at all of those positions when we were drafting. And that never yes. happens to the Browns. And by the way, you mentioned earlier that it's the Ravens that swoop in and make a trade in the spot before us to take the guy that we've been targeting the whole time. What you left out of that scenario was the guy that was orchestrating those moves was once upon a time, Mr. Cleveland Brown, Ozzie. Yeah, right. So that <laughs> exactly. was more right. salt exactly. in the wound. Yeah, here you go. And yeah. it was, it and, and Ohio, Ohio State's game of pain is, or excuse me, Pittsburgh's game of pain is taking Ohio State athletes that we think are garbage that go on to have great careers in Pittsburgh. Exactly. Because for whatever reason, the Browns have been adverse to drafting Buckeyes. It's it's mm-hmm. happened a handful of times in the history of the organization. Right. Almost to, to bemusement. You know, you're like, right. wait a minute. This is a blue-chip program it has always been a blue chip program that throws players into the NFL that become stars. And for some yeah, reason, they're always good. The team closest to them geographically just looks the other way and watches Pittsburgh take them. And it's always, it's always been a source of my absolute madness. How, how does this happen? You know, yeah. how is this, how is this a thing every stinking year? Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, hopefully this regime kind of realizes the mistakes of the past regimes. And, I, you know, we got a Buckeye and, right. and hopefully he has a nice career, but, you know, it'd be nice if when these can't miss all American Buckeyes are available when we're drafting and we need players at that position that we might take a few of them. Yeah, seems, I think seems that, obvious. Was, that was my next question. I mean, I think I know the answer to this already there, Jay. But, uh, you know, we, we talked about Schwartz, but um, who is your favorite pick of this Browns draft, not named Greg Newsom or JOK? Well, I love Schwartz, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and okay. so when I was the day before, I was going through a, a buddy of mine who um, – who studies the draft for a living but doesn't work for a network but provides scouting reports for mm-hmm. to the networks, um, does a lot of work with the teams. I had asked him for his top 10 at linebacker, safety, defensive end, and wide receiver. Nice. And Schwartz was like number seven and he had an asterisk next to it, but there was no asterisk below the list. And I'm like, I think he left something off. He wants to say something about this guy, but forgot. 
So I called him and I said, hey, listen, um, this burner, Schwartz, you have him at seven and there's an asterisk next to his name, but you don't have any, there's no, no denotation key below it. Like, I don't know what that meant. And he goes, oh my God, yeah, I forgot. What I, he, because he prepared this list specifically for me because I had asked him ab- yeah. about those positions in particular. And so some of it was cut and paste and he put it all together and he just forgot to fill in the asterisk. And I said, so what, the, what did you want to say there? And he said, well, what I, what I want to say about him, what I w- meant to tell you about him is he's the guy that most perfectly fits the wide receiver that you guys are looking for. Yes. Ah. So there's different kinds ah. of wide receivers. There's okay. the Plexico Burris, big body wide receiver that yeah. right. go up and get anything. Then there's the route runner that's, you know, like Wes Welker is not going to jump off anybody's charts. But like when you watch him long enough, you're like, you know what? This guy's really, really solid as a route runner. And then there's, you know, Brian Brennan types, the hands guys that you you third and seven and you need a a first down. You're going to look to him. Well, so he said what he said about Schwartz was he's the guy. If I have to look at all the wide receivers that are available, he's the guy that I think would fit most perfectly into what Cleveland needs. We got him. That's what you want to do. So probably my favorite pick from, because it worked out that way. And because I I got this scouting report, I'm like, well, you, when you get your guy. So, so guys, that's almost like you could almost make an argument that he's a first round pick because if he was the best fit for us at wide receiver, and that's who we got, like, right. and we got right. him in the third round. You just, right. you just uh, tip your cap to Andrew Barry, and you realize that this guy's making all the right moves. He's a Jedi. That's but, what he is. Well, we went, He's and a you made the Jedi. point. You made we the went, point of what he can do for the other receivers, taking the top off and all that. But you also got to make the point of what the other receivers do for him. When you got Odell Beckham out there and you got Jarvis Landry and you got Hollywood and you got this receiving and not to mention Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and or Austin the tight Hooper ends. and the group. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. What that does for a guy that you can just get a little swing pass out to yep. the space that that creates, because that's what this guy is. This is this is not your precise route runner guy. This is your get him a little swing pass. Yep. Get him out in world space. class sprinter that you have yes. to put that my game plan for if I'm on offense and I'm drawing up a game plan, I, I'm not ready to close my eyes on Saturday night unless I have five specific plays yes. called for him. Right. And 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 once yes. I once I have a play a quarter and one extra one that's worked into my game plan. For my burner, for my playmaker, for my for the fastest guy and maybe in the league, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I'm good. Then I can say, okay, yeah, I'm good. Right. I can go to bed so, tonight, and um, because because if one of those five turns into a touchdown, you're going into the game with a seven point lead every time. Right. Exactly. So I love it. I I I love what he can do, and I can look. I think the battles in camp are going to be ferocious in, in years yeah. past right because in years past we were like well god i don't know if we got five guys that can make the team at wide receiver <laughs> yeah, right now Wait, which one of these guys do we this, have to keep <laughs> now you're saying which one of these which one of these guys that will be picked up within 15 minutes of hitting the waiver wire are we gonna have to ask for his playbook 
Right. And that's, right. we haven't been in that situation, guys, since the 80s. We went to the grocery store. I feel bad for whoever for, that is, but that's amazing. We went to the Nuts. grocery store for fruit. We got to the car, realized we needed bread and milk, went back in and got it, man. <laughs> and got right. free dessert. Yeah, I got free dessert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing better so than real, free dessert. Real quick, between Anthony Schwartz and the next guy I was going to talk about, you did have James Hudson. That to me is the sign of that to me is the sign of a here's where we're at as a franchise pick. You take this tackle who's a monster. <laughs> yeah. He's a monster. He's he's raw and he needs work, but you're going to now put him in as depth behind the best offensive line in football where he's going to be able to learn from that that entire group and who knows if 3 4 years down the road uh, uh James Hudson isn't your starting tackle. So we'll see yep. what happens with him, but then we went in last week and I asked the guys on the podcast last week. I said, who's the one guy outside of like the first round that you desperately want to wind up with the Cleveland Browns when this weekend is all said and done. And we went around the horn and my answer was Tommy Togiai from the, wow, from the Ohio really? State Buckeyes. Nice. I think it's, a, yeah. I think it's absurd. Uh-huh. I think it's absurd that he went in the fourth round. I think it's, Obviously, there's some size questions with Togiai, and that I think was the primary issue with him. It was the issue. But yeah. having said that, having said that, you talked about a blue chip university football program in Ohio State. Did you ever see somebody well, with this group specifically? I shouldn't say have you ever seen somebody because, of course, you have. But somebody that remember Togiai was out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. The impact that he had. When he came back, when he was off the field versus when he was on the field, changed the entire Ohio State defense. Completely changed it. And we know that because we watched every snap of the season. And Mm -hmm. you, you start to learn like little nuance, like things that you can't measure. There's no plus minus uh, stat in football, really. It's your right, eyes. Right. It's your eyes. Like, you know that defensive linemen are rotating in and out, and you kind of get a feel by the middle of the second quarter who's on the field when the plays are being made and who isn't, right? Exactly. And with the Ohio State defense, it was like you were seeing a completely different unit when he was in the game. And yes. that, only, that only happens in hockey. Like when you're <laughs> when your leading scorer is right. anchoring the first line, suddenly everybody on the first line looks freaking amazing. Well, that's the impact that one player can have. Well, it's weird too because at that position, you can make everybody look better when you're getting to the quarterback in a second earlier. Right. You're yeah. making your defensive backs automatically look so much better because they're never getting burned. They're not getting burned on deep routes because the quarterback doesn't have time to step back and find a guy and throw to him. So there are players at every position that have an intangible impact on a team. And I think I don't, I'm not saying he's going to have that impact at the, at the next level. He clearly had that kind of impact at Ohio state. So, and here's another thing we've been pointing out the differences between these Browns and our old Browns, right? And among them is when we used to draft in the sixth and seventh round, these guys were going to make the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they were going to make That's the team. That's very true. Right? Yeah. Now, very true. No, and we needed them. Wow. We, we needed them. We absolutely <laughs> needed them. Now what, what we're <laughs> seeing is good. we're drafting guys that are 
potential projects. So what that means is you can draft a raw guy. Like I, I think Schwartz is kind of a raw wide receiver. Yes, sir. You know, I yeah, think yes. I think if you took away his four two speed and you gave him four five speed, he's probably not being drafted. He's probably not playing college football. And part but of that's has, Auburn's fault too. And part of that's Auburn's fault because of the I Auburn agree system. with no, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. But so suddenly we're taking guys that maybe are super green or they're raw, but they're dripping with natural ability. We couldn't yeah. do that before. We had well, to take football players before. Not right. If you get something from your fifth round pick in this draft, that's a bonus. Because when you look at the right. roster that we have and you start making roster decisions, now I know that things are going to happen in camp and injuries and whatnot. Yep. But if you looked at our roster before we went into the draft, you're like, we don't have nine spots available. Right. Yet we go right. in with all this draft equity. We have nine picks, right? So right. that allows you to take a chance here or there on a guy that might be a little green in the, in the, in the experience department or maybe hasn't had the proper coaching or maybe he comes from you know a, a smaller, unproven school. Um, and what, what can he do when we get our hands on him? And that's where the Patriots have always thrived. They're able to take those guys that other teams aren't even paying attention to because they need guys that are going to stick on their roster. The Patriots are taking these guys saying, you know what? If Wes Welker turns into what we think he can be, he's going to help our team. And how many of those guys have the Patriots drafted during Belichick's 20 years there? Endless. Endless. (laughs) So that's one thing to reach for a need and to take that player that everybody thinks is going to be an absolute superstar. And then it's another thing to take a guy that you see some quality in, whether it's work ethic or, or it's his, uh, he's a, he's just a winner or he's a born leader or he's got this, this quality or that quality. And, and oftentimes these things are immeasurable. You can't see them in Indianapolis and they're, they're intangible. You can't even, you can't even, some, sometimes you can't even explain it in a guy. I, I've had coaches tell me when you say, well, what is it that you love so much about this player? And the answer sometimes is, and it's the same answer, you know, I don't even know. I, don't, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. Or something about him. Yeah. the answer is this. I don't know. Everything. It's everything. If I could have 22 of him, I'd win the silver trophy every year. So, yeah, and and that's gut, right? That's that's purely gut. That's um, Indians are on the board. I just saw a stat on the Indians broadcast. They, I think it said they. I'm trying to do both at once. I think it said they lead <laughs> no, the major leagues in run differential after the sixth inning, which makes sense because their relievers this year have yes. been really, really good. Right. And I, I have noticed the my last boy Emmanuel Clase. Oh my God! The thing is with him though. I want a little movement to his fastball because 101 is impressive, but when it's rail straight, these guys are going to get it. And a lot of his fastballs, there was a, a, a outing he had against the Reds a couple of weeks ago. He came in, like lit the gun up, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, and he didn't have a swing and a miss in the inning. And he, he lost the game because they had Naylor playing first base and he let a ball go through his legs. And then well, right. three hits well, after that. But it was exactly when it happened. I go, that looked exactly like Bill Buckner. And then we end up losing the game. But I, I'm screaming at Classe, Classe, you have other pitches. 
Not not quite the same implications. Try to fool them here and there. (laughs) And by the way, when you throw 101, can you maybe cut it a little bit? You know, make it come in. Like 101 is great, but these guys are going to hit it. The next night he came out against the Reds. He got out of it. It was a little shaky. He got out of it, but he started throwing the slider. And guys were off balance, and that's how you win. A 101 is great, but you better have something in your arsenal that's 90. Yeah. You well, know. here it comes, Parkman, the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> it's four to two in the sixth yeah. inning, and Fran Mel Reyes is at the dish. Yeah. Who, I love hey, Fran Mel Reyes. He's a swing away uh, we from tying it. this puppy. We did get a fan question from uh, from one of our, our buddies, Derek, who's listening. Uh, he wanted to know, in your opinion, of the guys the Browns drafted, uh, who has the highest floor and maybe the lowest ceiling? Oh, God, the highest floor. Don't you want to say the highest ceiling? Well, I think what he's saying is the highest floor and the lowest ceiling. Like, that's the one player with the highest floor and the lowest ceiling. So, a guy that is. Oh, the one player. He's not going to bust out. Oh, okay. So, so I guess another way of saying it is the guy that could be a superstar, but either way, he's going to be a good player. Yeah, for real. Well, typically, you would want that person to be the first player you selected. Because, I mean, if he doesn't have the highest ceiling, I don't know why you're drafting him there. Um, I know a lot of it's done on on perspective. Uh, You're prospecting on a player. Is this player going to live up to his potential? Did the players that he played against at his position in college, do those players, are they of the caliber that will go to the NFL? That's why I'm always leery of taking a North Dakota State quarterback. I'm always leery of that. Always. Right, right. And and the right. reason I'm leery of that, yeah. I'd rather take the second or third best quarterback in the SEC who faced NFL caliber competition throughout his career. Yes. When you're at North yes. Dakota State, I don't even know who the Bisons or whoever they are. I don't even know who they play. Right. Like, right. how can I Mahini? judge a player? How can I make a how can I make an educated opinion on a player if I don't know anything about the players he's playing against. When I take right. a player from a blue chip program, from a, a Notre Dame, an Ohio State, a Clemson, I know that those guys have done it at that level against the highest talent available for that sport in yeah. that in that category. So I, I don't want to take a guy from North Dakota State. I think it's too risky. Now, it, when you when you play corner, I will say this. And this is a concern of mine that I haven't brought up. The Big Ten, I thought this year the Big Ten was extremely bad. I thought yeah. they were extremely bad. I mean, at one point, I think we had Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. And maybe they had one win, and we were like in week four. Yes. It was it was, now right. I know that the whole year was just you could just throw the whole year out really with COVID and everything else. But this wasn't a year where I think anybody that has observed the Big Ten historically, where you would say, "Wow, this talent, this conference is dripping in talent." So that's a, a bit of a concern for me, to be quite honest with you, because wow, we got a real argument going on in the Royals game, Indians game right now. Oh, Someone oh did just, they do? Did you see that? I don't mean to cut off. 
I but did that see thing it. last night, did you see that thing last night? I, I, what I the did hell was see that? Right now, and Angel's in the middle of this one too. He's not a good umpire. I, oh, I think he's, he's. I think he's. He's the worst umpire in, in Major League Baseball, and you won't find many fans that disagree with that. Well, then but I'm not surprised that there's an argument going on. Now Matheny <laughs> yeah. just got tossed. Oh, bye. Matheny is as animated as I've ever seen him. He's that must be good for us, though. I, it's, it is good Something for us. Good because, in okay, our favor. so what, what I caught was there was a pickoff attempt at second base. The, runner, the Indians had runners at first and second. Singer whirled to throw to second. Runner was safe. Wasn't even a close play. But the umpires called a balk. So the Indians runners go from first to second. Now, by first and second to second and third. And that's not reviewable. Unless, unless they change that rule and I didn't know about it. Right. So a balk, a balk is not reviewable. Now, I'm looking at it right now. His foot is on the back of the – oh, wow, that's a great call. He buckled his left leg, his front leg. He's a righty. The and balk he call. I love the ever, balk call. Listen, I pitched Saturday in our season opener. Yeah. I gave up one earned in one unearned run in five innings. Yes. Against, Jay. against the team that beat us in the championship last year by one run. Took him down. So we won the game, so it's all good. Let's go. The run I gave up was I come set. There were runners at first and third. And just as I'm getting ready to make my move to the plate, the third base coach yells back. Now, I had held it for a for I was changing my cadence. I was holding it for a little bit longer than I normally do. And I, the third base coach yelled back, and I thought it was my third baseman yelling at me to step off. And I flinched, and I'm telling you, it was so minor. And the umpires didn't <laughs> no. call it, but the third base coach and the manager from the other team both jumped up and yelled balk, and that led the umpire to throw his hands up, yell balk, and tell the runner uh, to come home. And I, I think it's my first balk in tw- over 20 years. I was, yeah. oh, man. Carlos Santana just made an unbelievable play at first base that that kept this game from being tied. We got to run. It's four to three. I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen anybody hit more hard hit balls that wind up as outs as Josh Naylor. I love him. He does it all the time. He smokes the ball. He just did right at people. So are you watching it? What a play. I have it now. Yeah. What a play that, you know, he he, he made a play earlier this year that saved the game for, for the, I think it was opening day. Opening day, he made a play at first base that that uh, that kept us from winning the game. He's so good at first. Singer's coming oh, out, the and he the is yeah, he's oh, screaming. He is giving it to Angel. All right, Jay. Wow. So overall, because okay. we'll let you out, we'll let you out of here. We'll let you go enjoy the rest of your night before you got to get to bed. Overall, though, I mean, is it safe to assume do the Browns get an A for their for their draft this year? Solid A, not an A plus, not an A minus. Solid A. And the beauty of these things is that all of this is just hot air and we can look back in three years and we can, we can say that whether or not this draft was a hit or a miss, was it getting Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield in the first round? No draft can ever live up to that ever again, because what were they one in four? Right. So we'll yeah, let's not be, do that again. We'll, we'll never. Yeah. I hope we don't. Right. We'll, we'll never be able to do that again. Um, and, but for where we were late in the, in the draft and for what we got, I feel we did 
better than 28 teams if they had been in the same situation. Yes. That's that's how good I feel about it. So Love it. We'll see. In three years from now, you'll have me back on. I'll bring out another beer. We'll talk about, remember that draft class of 2021 that we thought was so good? Well, we were either right we better we're be wrong. Right. <laughs> I, I hope we're right, but 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 one day we'll know, and and it's just going to take us a long time to figure it out. <laughs> it better be. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Chad. Go ahead um, No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, can we quickly go through the rest of the division? I mean, because because like the Bengals blew my mind. I mean, I get it, I get it. Like get it like, whiffed hard. I get it. I, I get it. Pairing Burrow with his number one receiver at LSU, but why? Yeah. But like like did did he for, did they forget that he? Tore an ACL last year. That's something we would have. That's something we would have done. I know, and that's in something the, we would have done in the past. We would yeah. have. We we couldn't take our eyes off the shiny object, whether it was Johnny Manziel or Brady Quinn. We couldn't blink. We were oh, starstruck by that by that shiny object. So I think what the Bengals did is look. They got a great player. They got a great yeah. player. But here's the way I here's my analogy there. You got a beautiful Ferrari. It's got a nice brand new coat of orange paint with black stripes down the middle of it. Now you go to pop the hood and you look and you're like, what the hell happened to the engine? That looks like a Volkswagen. <laughs> a, that looks like a 1969 Volkswagen engine. What are we doing? Yeah, yes. The engine to any offense is the offensive line. Everybody, every, you know, everybody wants to think it's the quarterback and the wide receiver. You can have the best quarterback in the league. If you don't have people to block up front, He's going to be hurt by week three, and you now you're on to your backup, and you still got a sucky line. So you got to pay attention to that line. And the fact that they missed on that was stunning to me. Absolutely stunning. Right. Well, especially the guy, the guy on the board when they were picking. He was there. Was consensus. Like consensus number one. Of, one. one of one of the one of the best offensive linemen. Presumably, we'll see how it plays out in three years. But leading into the draft, one of the most talked about best offensive linemen in years. Yep. And they didn't and take him. They did not take him. And they're going to regret that. And you can almost look at the Steelers and say the same thing. So yes. the Steelers thought they needed a running back because Connor suddenly forgot how to be a running back. Just just like that. He just forgot how to be a running back. <laughs> so there and look, they got a great player too. This kid's a great player. One of the yeah. one of the more talented offensive players in this draft but they went to the grocery store and they were starved and they bought the bag of doritos instead of the rump roast you know it's just a bad move doritos are sexy man doritos are sexy and they're you know and they'll they'll scratch that itch when you're hungry but when you're done eating them you're like what the hell did i just do (laughs) and now so so you know what they're gonna say next year at the end of next year, when the Steelers are 24th in the league in rushing yards, and right. Ben has been sacked a billion times and he's thrown 11 interceptions a game, they're going to say, I, I, I knew they should have drafted a running a lineman. And yet all Steelers fans I know think that they won the draft. They won the draft. Yeah, because, well, we, because Connor sucked and we needed a new running back and now we got our guy and now we're going to be the Steelers again. You Steelers, were the Steelers because you always paid attention to your lines both offensive and defensive. Yes. And as your line got old, you got drunk on the sexiness of skills players. And now you got a lot of skills players, but again, you open up the hood and you look in there and you're like, that's a go-kart engine. I can't go anywhere with this. It looks great. It looks great, man. It passes the look test, 
but I can't go. I can't take it out. I can't, I can't do what I want to do with this thing. Well, it's fun to, Hey, listen, it's fun to make fun of the Bengals and the Steelers, but they, you, we still have that other team in the division and they still do know what they're doing. They do. I think they did a great job with the draft. They always do. They, they're well coached. I hate him too. I, I really do. I hate him too. And um, I'm I'm sure that we're going to get a Browns Ravens Monday night game this year, yeah. um, or their Sunday night game because for some reason that has become the marquee game right. for the NFL. They they totally they just rail ESPN. You know, I'm sure that week they'll, the, we'll, we'll see the uh, we'll see the Rams and the Cardinals on Monday night. Football. Always. Always. Um, Texans and Titans. Let's go. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. <laughs> you know, ESPN pays a gajillion dollars to the NFL. And before this year, they weren't even, before the new contract, they weren't even in the Super Bowl rotation. Uh, they got one playoff game, an AFC wildcard game, which was always, you know, rated just slightly higher than the rerun of Jerry Springer. Um, and it's a and, good rerun, though. It's one of the good episodes. Right, yeah, right. yeah. So you're Steve, gonna get Steve got Browns his ass Ravens. in that episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah, Steve. Yeah. Steve's got a show now, bro. Yeah, he's got his own show. <laughs> got his own yeah, show. Which, by the way, rates just higher than Monday Night Football in most. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. All right, Jay. Listen, you've spent a great amount of time with us. This was awesome recapping the draft. We love having you on. Second time having you on. We sure will uh, look forward to doing this again in the future. But uh, check out Jay Crawford on WKYC Channel 3. What time is he on? 5 o'clock every afternoon, Monday through Friday, uh, with the program What's New with my wonderful co-host, Betsy Kling. We have a blast every Uh, day. We really do. When you get home from work, pop on Channel 3. How could you not like seeing Jay Crawford making your day better? So, Jay, thank you so much for joining us, sir. And we'll talk to you again soon. By the way, I like to think of myself as your go-to guy for grocery store analogies. 100%. I've never, I've never had this many in one period of time like this. <laughs> I've never yeah. made this many, but it, was, it, it kind of became the theme, and I just ran with it. Like Let's, if anybody I'm, else, if anybody else tries to make one, I'm just going to cut them off. I'm going to make listen. <laughs> yeah, we have only one guy can it. do that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, listen. Listen. One now guy. I'm hungry, and my Heinen's card points have gone like through the roof. So this is good, great. guys. Always good to see you, man. Take care. Yeah, All right, you, see you, Jay. Thank you so much. Bye bye. And that was Jay Crawford joining us from WKYC Channel Three again. Check him out every weekday, five o'clock. Uh, what's it called? What's new? What's new? What's new? With Jay and Betsy Kling. Jay uh, but that Betsy. was awesome. That was awesome. What's that was new. What's new? Jay hey. and Betsy. Hey. What's hey. New? hey. Hey. <laughs> Listen, uh, it was fun just getting, you know, Jay's been around involved in sports for a long time uh, with ESPN yeah. for a long time. He knows a lot of people. So it was fun getting his perspective because, again, as a Browns fan, I watched that draft. And, Chad, uh, you're probably the same way. Just thinking, holy shit, we are crushing this. We are crushing, you know. You take Tommy Togiai in the fourth round. And again, I don't know that Tommy Togiai is going to be good. What I do yeah. know is what I've seen. And again, I'm I, when I judge, you know, when I try to make my judgments on how players are going to be in the draft and coming out of college and all that, yeah, it's very much for me based on how they've looked in their games. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people a lot smarter than me do a lot more digging into other things I just don't get into the I, I call them the combine stats. I don't get into the combine stats. Right. I watch how a guy plays and generally that translates. Yeah. And yeah. and I think Togiai and 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 Greg Newsom and and JOK man like this draft 
I think they've got a real chance to put three immediate impact players on the field right from the start. Yeah. I mean, what you were talking about there, Mike, is, 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 you know, what a lot of people call the eye test. I mean, you look at them on the field, you see how they play and yeah. Uh, yeah and, and you think, and yeah, usually it translates, you know, something that I wanted to mention till guys, something we missed uh, when we had Jay on was, you know, they talked about his, you know, size issues, but I think of the other factor was that something we missed is he was only a full-time starter for one year. And I think if he, I, I'm convinced he would have been a first or second round pick if he would have had more than one year as a full-time starter, because I love that guy too, because, you know, again, the eye test, you watch him in games, he is wreaking havoc on every single play that that, that he is down in that three-point stand. So I, I'm really excited to, to, to see him play. Well, and it's also, you know, the other thing that it's, he does a lot well. Again, there's defensive, interior defensive linemen. Again, the, their primary job is to be a run stuffer. Their primary job is to be a block eater, right? Eat up yeah. blockers so that your edge players and your linebackers can get at the quarterback. Right. However, Tommy Togiai was a beast. He got into the backfield all season long. So this is yeah. a guy that creates problems in the backfield. Not only does he eat blockers, but he pushes them back. I think, to me, listen, we've talked about the offense, and I love adding Anthony Schwartz to that. That's yeah. going to mean the, that somebody else isn't going to make the team yeah. uh, because Schwartz will, unless he is just a travesty. Uh, right. However, for me, the thing I am most excited about, right? I think the defensive backfield is assuming health happens is going to be one of the best defensive backfields in, in the league. I think your edge rushers, when you talk about tech and you talk about miles and you talk about uh, Jadevi and Clowney and all that are going to be phenomenal. The thing I am most excited to watch, though, is that battle on the defensive interior line. Who's yeah. going to make it? Who's going to play between between the guys they brought in in free agency? Between the guys again, like Billings that didn't play last year, but he was here, right? Right. And between uh, like a guy like Togi, I add him to the mix. I know everybody's talking about Sheldon Richardson being gone, and I don't. I will not say a bad word about Sheldon Richardson because I really like him, but like. That room's doing really well right now, even without Sheldon Richardson. Like, oh, I know a lot of people, and, and and Andrew Barry has said publicly, we would welcome Sheldon Richardson back if the deal is right. I think that's a pipe dream. I do not think that's going to happen. But I think the room's doing just fine. There are so many options at so many positions right now. You know, what the is roster, happening? The Browns roster, Mike, is up to 90 players. They have to cut that down to 53. It's up to 90 players. And there's only, what, five, six roster spots available? Uh, assuming there's only like five or six assumed roster spots available. So you, you've got to work your ass off if you want to make this team. And yeah. this, is, this is how the other half lives. Like, like this is how well, the other I think half some lives. of these... I think some of these younger guys that you love just get ready because they're going to the practice squad because they don't want to lose them, but they're not going to be able to keep them. And and then get ready. Some of these other guys, some of these players that fans like, see ya. They're right. going to go. They don't have right. room for them. Right. So, anyways. Again, again, another good problem good teams have. You're not going to be able to keep every good player on your team. You're just not. No, you sure can't. So, listen, we had a great time. Jay Crawford, one of the great storytellers we have had on the podcast. That's our second time now we have had him on the podcast. And uh, uh, go check him out on his Twitter, at Jay Crawford CLE. 
but I think that's going to pretty much wrap us up. This is about as long as we want to go. So we're going to end it as we always do. We usually do our three cheers of the week. We're going to do our two cheers of the week because we don't have Joe this week. He'll be back next week. So uh, our three cheers of the week, Chad, are we going to do the dance that we do every week where you're like, oh, shit, I got to think about something or are we gonna, do you have one? No, no, no. I actually have something this week. Thanks for uh, taking behind the curtain there, Mike. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's fine. It's good. You literally uh, said it on the podcast last week. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, this one's a little bit of a serious one. It's a little bit more emotional. Um, you know, it's funny because we talked about before we went live about some of these like, you know, emotional games that guys have after tragedies, like the Brett Favre game that we talked about. Mike Shears is going to go out to TJ Oshie of the Washington Capitals. Uh, he just lost his dad a couple days ago. Uh, I mean, very, very recently. It might have been a couple days. I, I don't remember exactly what day. But this was his first game back after losing his dad, and he had a hat trick tonight. Uh, so there's just something about – That's incredible. Uh, incredible. about those those games that happen and, and those things that happen. You know, we talked about Brett Favre throwing for – you know, 500 yards. I mean, I don't, it wasn't 500 yards, 250,000 yards. Yeah. He had an amazing game after he just lost his dad. Uh, you know, and TJ, it was no different for TJ Oshie tonight. So my cheers of the week goes to TJ Oshie for, uh, yeah, just, just coming out and as emotional as he was and, and having that game he did. Yeah. That's a, that's a great one, Chad. And, and the hat trick it, it's storybook, man. And, and that's a guy, I hate the Washington Capitals. I <laughs> yeah. hate them. With a passion, I hate them. <laughs> yeah. So when he left the Blues to go to Washington, I was like, oh, great, great. Right. Because this guy's an American icon, right? Remember what he right. did in the Olympics when they just kept sending him for the shootout and he just kept yeah. scoring? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was an American icon. He's a He seems like he's a good dude. Uh uh, And it just happens to play for the Capitals. But a guy that you can always root for and a tough week for him. But what a way. You know his dad was watching over him when that was happening. So that was a cool one, Chad. Uh, mine's not going to be emotional, but it's going to be timely, and it's going to be easy. Uh, we've got to cheers the city of Cleveland for the weekend that they had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have to tell you, as a, I spent a lot of time down there um, uh, this weekend. I had a buddy come in from Seattle. We had a great time. Spent time at the restaurants, spent time down in the flats. We spent time just taking it all we spent spent time at the draft just kind of taking it all in the city of cleveland did a magnificent job the the people that work down there the planners both for the nfl the browns and the city yeah did a spectacular job they had areas around the city where you could like sit outside have a beer watch the draft uh the restaurants were doing well the it just was it, again, it was some sort uh, sort of semblance of normalcy, but the city looked beautiful. They did a fantastic job, and it's they certainly set a bar, and I think a lot of the national people that came here to cover the draft said the same thing. They set a bar. This is how the draft should go. It's what it should look like. It's what it should feel like, uh, and it set a bar. So cheers to the city of Cleveland for an awesome weekend where you were front and center in the sports world. Love that. So, Chad, you got anything to add before we get out of here? Yeah, no, no, I don't. Oh, uh, Carol Baskin just released her own uh, 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 cryptocurrency. How do you feel about that? If that that? doesn't – listen, I'm not going to tell you my feelings on the majority of people getting into (laughs) cryptocurrency. But if that doesn't explain it, I don't know what does. Carol Baskin has a (laughs) cryptocurrency. Cool. I just made up money too. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Maybe Joey can edit in. Maybe Joey can edit in some – uh, some cat coin, uh, or, or, or some, 
some songs from that show. Some yeah. some Tiger King songs. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it. We got to give out our thanks uh, again. First of all, thank you goes out to the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network for uh, hosting us, for having us a part of the group. Go check them out, Belly Up Sports. Check out some of the other shows on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Some of our partners over there, they do great work. Uh, again, a big thanks goes out to Jay Crawford from WKYC from talking everything from Browns to ESPN to the Cavs to the Indians and so much more. We had a great time with Jay, and we'll of course, we'll do that again. And, of course, our biggest thanks always goes out to you, the listeners. We appreciate you and the watchers, I guess. We appreciate yeah. you taking part with us. We hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. So for the absentee, Joey down there in Nashville, Tennessee, at Garage Beers. Joe for Chad over there on the east side at Garage Beers. Chad, my name is Michael Keefe. This has been episode 64 of the pod of the Garage Beers podcast. We'll see you again next week. Cheers, everybody. partners. Losing weight is better together with Nutrisystem's partner plan. In fact, people who diet together lose 20% more weight than dieting on their own. Get new premium meals with up to 30 grams of protein. They're big and filling and taste delicious. Plus, try our new restaurant faves that taste like your favorite restaurant portioned with half the calories. Don't wait. You could win big cash during Nutrisystem's Better Together Partner Plan 100K giveaway and maybe win the grand prize of $25,000. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin. Right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off your first month. You heard me right. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Don't wait. This partner plan offer will not last long. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin. See website for details on our two-month subscription offer. No purchase necessary. Open only to U.S. residents over 21. Void where prohibited. Runs December 25 through April 4th, 2022. For official rules, visit Nutrisystem.com. Sponsored by Nutrisystem, Inc.